is the Rams Review Podcast. Discussion, insights, interviews and analysis. All passion, all Derby County. The Rams Review Podcast is proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, where fans come first. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Rams Review Podcast. It's Corey along with you. Jason's unable to join me for this segment of the show, um, but I am not alone. I am with Paul. He is the exiled Robin. He, we're here to talk all things Bristol City um, ahead, of, ahead of the weekend's match between the Robins and the Rams. Um, Paul, I want to start one place, uh, because Derby County had 21 points taken away. Uh, if they didn't have 21 points taken away, they'd currently have 22 points. They'd be sitting in 19th in the table and in 18th in the table is Bristol city with 23 points. Um, so the question is, Paul, I normally assume with Bristol city, and this is not to be rude or anything, you know, very good mid table premier championship team. Uh, what, what's gone wrong here? I'm assuming so. Uh, yeah. Longer. Was this the expectation? Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, without wanting to wish ill on others, I think any points deduction from any other team seems a bit of a boost for us at the moment because it means there's possibly one less uh, one less spot to be fighting for to go down. But we, um, I don't know, we feel like we're on a little bit of a, a steady decline, I think, in a lot of ways. We obviously had a, a few good seasons under Lee Johnson where we were challenging for playoffs and just sort of fell away at the end, including one, you know, one, crunch game against you guys three three years ago, I think it was now. We've lost some of our better players. We haven't replaced them with players that was, you know, as talented, unfortunately. We've got a bit of a mixture in our squad now of some potentially talented young players, some experienced players, but those experienced players tend to be injured quite a lot in and out of the team. Um, and yeah, we, we're, just, we're just lacking some. We're lacking some dynamism. We're lacking some pace. We're lacking creativity. Um, and we're kind of, we've suddenly gone to be a team in the last month or two where when we lose, we're pretty bad. You know, we've, we've probably spent a couple of years where when we lose, we kind of are in games, it's tight. We might, you know, just not quite have enough to get, get a goal and lose, lose one goal. But we suddenly started conceding goals and look, looking awful in the last few months, a couple of months when we've lost games. Um, fortunately, we've had just the odd game in between where we've done okay and picked up some points, uh, notably against Stoke on Wednesday night, which sums up the championship really, doesn't it? You can go and be awful either side of the game and then beat the team in fourth place. But uh, yeah, I think the squad's lacking quality depth. Um, there's a handful of good players, certainly lacking real effectiveness going forward. And we're not organising up at the back. And that's, as a mixture, that's not a good mix for a football team. Is that all down to the way Nigel Pearson plays football. I know obviously Nigel Pearson was at Derby for a short space of time. It just did not work out. Mm. Um, personally for me, don't think he was given enough time at Derby, but it didn't work out and what mm. happened and whatever. And he's at Bristol city. And I was reading a statistic where correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't there, I don't know the exact numbers, but wasn't there a, a long stretch of time where you guys hadn't won at home for like, yeah. a like, I don't know, ridiculous, like six months or something like that. And so yeah. tell me about that statistic. And then, is it all down to the way Nigel Pearson tries to play? Because when I think of Nigel Pearson, I think of very pragmatic, old school kind of manager. Or is it just a mixture of, like you were saying, the squad imbalance plus Nigel Pearson? 
I think, yeah, I think a bit of a mixture, a bit of, a bit of uncertainty, to be honest. I mean, he's been in for nearly a year now. What we haven't, what, what I guess I expected from Nigel Pearson was, especially for the type of footballer he was, I expected him to come in, get us organised, get us solid defensively, get us working hard. And we might not be the most attractive team to watch, but we'd be solid and consistent. We're anything but. We are absolutely anything but. And I don't really understand that. We've got defenders who on paper are decent. You know, we've got Thomas Callas, who's been around the championship and costed 8 million quid. You've got Nathan Baker, who's a good good championship set centre-half. You've got, you know, a couple of full-backs who are younger, but but we just, we've got Dan Bentley in goal, who's a decent goalkeeper, but we're just not solid. We're not organised. We did go on a long home run. I mean, that was broken a couple of weeks ago. We actually won our first game for, a, yeah, 19 games, I think it was, and, and six months at home. Um, and then beat Stoke again on Wednesday. So maybe that's turned around. Um, but we, away from home, we've been very good in that period, actually. We've been one of the better teams in the Championship, thank God, because it meant we, uh, meant we just about survived last season. And that's gone to pot in the last month. We're suddenly not in games. We're not fighting. I don't know what it is we're really trying to be. And I think that's where most fans are with Nigel Pearson. What are we? Are we trying to be tough and organised and just not doing it very well? Are we trying to play on counter-attack, but we don't really do that particularly well? We're certainly not a front-foot pressing attacking team. So I think the big question at the moment is, what are we trying to be? And then I guess you ask, how much of that is down to Nigel Pearson, what he's trying to do, versus how much time has he had to bring in the right players for his team? You know, because you, you, you might want to play a certain way, but if you haven't got the midfield or you haven't got the, the forwards or whatever it may be to do that, then you can't do it. So there are a lot of question marks. And I think there's a lot of question marks on a lot of areas of our management team and, and tactics and squad, but we aren't going to get answered certainly before the January window. And even then you question how much business we can really do to improve things in January. So it's going to be a long season. I think it's going to be a long, tough season. We just got to hope we've got enough to keep out that bottom three and can you know build again in the summer and, and go again next year. Does it feel, do you get the impression that the board or the owner at Bristol city sees Pearson as a long-term option, or do you see that he is just kind of a stopgap until whatever is considered better comes along? And so he's kind of just there. So the investment, you know, like you said, there's the uncertainty in January. You don't know who's going to renew. You don't know who's going to be coming in, mm-hmm. leaving or whatever. Is he just, does he give you the impression of a stopgap manager or a Bristol City fully fully into the Nigel Pearson project? No, I think the absolute intention was this was a long-term job. We, we've The last time I'd say we appointed a really experienced manager at this level was Steve Koppel back about 12 years ago. And he lasted about three weeks before quitting. And I think it stung the owner. Um, we've had a series of different sorts of managers, but... The last two in particular have been fairly inexperienced and Lee Johnson and then Dean Holden even more inexperienced, up and coming young coaches, um, fitting in with a sustainability uh, uh, you know, attempt at a club, we're trying to you know, buy younger players, develop them, move on. You know, and that's gone a little bit awry the last two years. But no, I think Nigel Pearson very much is the long-term option. He's seen as that. He's got rid of a couple of the coaching team. He's brought his own coaching staff in. He's He's got a hands-on recruitment, although there's a question on how much. So there's very much the idea that he is going to rebuild this club to be a solid championship outfit. The big question, obviously, is you know how much of that is he going to be allowed to do if you're wallowing in the bottom six, seven of a championship? And it's not just positions. We we went through some really bad spells. I don't know if you remember, under Lee Johnson, we went through some really streaky spells of defeats. We lost six, seven, eight games in a row, I think three times under him. 
we never lost any of those games by more than a goal. You know, we were in games. We were, you could see what we were trying to do, even though it wasn't quite working. You could understand the style of football. You could, you could see we were either playing front foot initially and then we sort of changed to a counter-attack. We just can't, I, I can't see that. And I think a lot of fans can't see that. And I think that's the big concern at the moment is where are we actually going? What, what signs of progress are there? And I'm not sure we've seen too many signs of progress, unfortunately, in the last three months. And how long a manager will be given, given that's the state, is obviously a big question mark. Because obviously it's a results business, but also when you take into account the performances, if you're performing well and losing like the odd goal, like Lee Johnson was doing, it buys him something. Like you were saying, he went through six or seven losses three times because you can say, hey, look, we're competitive, we're in games, we're losing by the odd goal. That's kind of what Darby's going through right now. You're losing by Mm. the goal. If you look at Darby's results, there's been no games this season, bar a couple that Darby's not been in. And you could Mm. say, hey, this moment goes this way, this moment goes this way, the ball's kicked this way, and Darby's mid-table with the points deduction. But, you know, these it's the way the ball bounces sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, when you're starting to lose games, and this is this is the worry for me looking in at Bristol City with what you just said is, yeah. Nigel Pearson, if he's losing games, and it's the manner in which they're losing, they're not competitive, they're not in game. Yeah. That starts to be the longer-term consideration, and that's that's yeah. a death knell for the manager there. And Hopefully he's not got a, the dreaded vote of confidence yet by the board. Um, but you know, it, maybe maybe that's coming because when, on the outside looking in, I'm looking at Bristol City. I'm like, there's no reason they should be in 18th because I'm looking at the squad. And one player stands out to me because he used to play for Derby, and I'm not going to talk about Chris Martin, even though I love Chris Martin because I think he's the sexiest man in football. Um, <laughs> that's Andy Vyman because when he was at Derby, Andy Vyman, they played him this odd thing. They played him on like the left wing because I don't know what our manager was doing. And then Bristol City, when he signed for them, they just said, you know what, you are a striker, son. You've always played as a striker. I don't know why you're on left wing. And he's been doing quite well since coming back from his ACL, hasn't he? He has, although to be honest, it's yeah, he's he plays a lot of positions. I think he I mean he's a sort of footballer that coaches can rely on. He works so hard. I mean, he must cover more ground than anyone else in the championship, I think. And he does it at a reasonable speed. But he has been playing off off a striker, to be honest. Chris Martin plays up top. Vyman plays as one of three behind often, or, or two behind. Um he played at right wing back, he's played at left wing. So yeah, he does get booted around the pitch as well. Um yeah, I think I'm mean, just going to touch back on Nigel Pearson. The other factor is he's been ill. I mean, he, had, he was ill last year when he wasn't in work with quite badly with COVID. He's been off for at least three or four, four matches this season and missed games for us from long COVID and the effects of that. So he's not even been at games. And that, that's obviously a factor that might come into it. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of, I think the big unknown with us, we've got Naki Wells, who whenever you play any other team and they say, oh, who you worried about in the Bristol City squad, they mention Naki Wells because he scored goals against pretty much every team in this level. And he can't, we can't find a way of getting him involved in our side. And that, you know, maybe he's just not training particularly well. Maybe he's not showing the right, the right instinct and the right commitment in training. But you've got to wonder when a team is struggling and someone who's got some pace and take the ball out, out from defence and do something with it, why we can't find a way of him playing. I mean, we're flogging Martin and Weiman to death. They've played almost 90 minutes in every single game this season. Yeah, and you you've got to wonder how viable that is long-term through a Christmas period, certainly, and how much they can do that. And it's starting to show, I think. They had some decent performances together in September time. We went on a little bit of a run. We won at Cardiff. We won at Reading. They played really well together. It's just not happened the last month. And um, again, going back to something you said, we're losing games because we deserve to lose them. The concern is, even the games we're drawing or winning, you kind of look at those and you think, we're a bit fortunate there. Yeah, we're a bit lucky. We beat Stoke on Wednesday night and we could have been 3-0 down in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, very easy. They hit, they hit woodwork. They had a yeah, great big miss. So you look at those games and even the ones we're winning, you're kind of worried that things go the other way. Yeah, we have a, an unlucky day and we're not going to win that. And 
I think that's, that's a real concern at the moment. Look at the Bristol City squad, and it does have quality because it does have four former Derby players in it. Um, that's that's Vyman, um, Chris Martin, Andy King, and, of course, Casey Palmer. I don't think King and Palmer ever set Derby alight, to be honest with you. I think that was just – that was just yeah, let's just move on from that one. Um, but Chris Martin, I do want to talk about him very slightly because he is very good with Derby, and I realize he left a couple years ago, so I'm not going to harp on it too much. Mm. But his contract's up in summer, and that left some Derby fans on Twitter salivating, like, could he potentially sign back for Derby if we're in league? Yeah, yeah. Um, is, he, is he sticking around at Bristol City? Because didn't he have an option on his contract? Or is yeah, he- I'm not sure exactly if he's got an summer. option. Um, where are we sticking around? I don't know. I think Nigel Pearson's clearly a fan. He plays him every week. He's almost, you know, he seems to be first name on the team sheet. He does a job. I think what we're not doing is we're not utilising him properly. I think we're trying to use him as a, a big target man into his head, which from what I've seen... He's much better with actually the ball being played into his feet or into his chest to hold up and bring others into play rather than rather than flicking on, rather than trying to do too much. Um, I guess it is age. It's got to be a question mark whether he will or not. He could do a job for us, certainly. I don't think we'd probably want to be relying on him for another two years. I think that's probably a bit bit much. Um, but we have got a younger squad around, but actually up front with Martin, Vyman, Naki Wells, we've got three guys there who are, you know, the wrong end of their careers, essentially. Vyman a little bit less so, but certainly Naki Wells and Chris Martin. And we haven't got a lot else, to be honest. We've got a youngster who, Antoine Semenya, who's sort of had flashes here and there, but never really established himself. So it does feel like the forward positions are something that needs a bit of a reconstruction. And you, you've got to think, I guess, with someone out of contract, that might be a good opportunity to do that reconstruction and bring, bring a different option in, bring someone different, someone a bit younger, someone a bit fresher to do something different. Um, there's no doubt he can do a job. There's absolutely no doubt about that. I think whether it's through tiredness because he's played every game, whether it's because we're not utilising him properly or whether he hasn't actually quite got the right strike partner alongside him, we're just not seeing enough of it at this point. So, Paul, turning our attentions to to the match on Saturday, um, you'll obviously be there. Yes, yeah. In the comfort of my own home. Um so when I turn the TV on and the Derby fans show up to Ashton Gate, tactically, how's this Bristol City team going to set up? It's a good, good question. <laughs> we've uh, <laughs> so we've gone the last few games with um, uh, four at the back, um, sort of midfield. We've gone for a very young midfield. We've, the last three or four games we played. Well, I think our finishing midfield against Stoke was eighteen, nineteen, and twenty-one. Um, we've got injuries. So Matty James is injured. Andy King's injured. Joe Williams, who we signed from Wigan, who's looked very, very good in the time he's played his injury. But I think he's played a total of about 450 minutes in a season and a half. So, you know, he's he comes in for a game, game and a half, and then gets injured again. So we're struggling in midfield. I think we will um, play a variation on that sort of 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1, potentially. Chris Martin is a focal point. Um, We've also played some wing back. So we've really mixed up. We've played some wing backs as well, actually, the last couple of games. So it really has been mixed up, and you've done some different things over the last six games. Nigel Pearson doesn't seem to be a fan of wing backs, and yet he's played them for the last couple of games. Um, you suspect with a bad defeat on Sunday yesterday that that might change now because he might have seen enough of that formation and wants to switch back to his favoured four. But we uh, it comes back to what I said earlier. We just don't really know. I don't think we really know what our best lineup is, what our best formation is, what our style is. Um, our best bet in a game is to really try and just keep as tight as possible and, and snatch a 1-0 I think because we're not going to score lots and lots of goals but we're struggling to keep it tight at the moment that was only our second clean sheet of the season so I honestly can't really answer to, I don't think in terms of how we're going to set up because 
we've got injuries, we're switching formations around, we're switching personnel around. Um, and it's just not clear what we're going to do. I mean, Nathan Baker went off injured yesterday again for about the 20th time in his career with us. A second concussion in a month. So I can't see there's any way he's going to be playing on, on Saturday. So that's another change in defence. So it's a very good question. Well, I can't really answer, I don't think. Two, two concussions in a month, that's rough. That is yeah, there's a bit of a question about how he... He's very... I mean, if you watch Nathan Baker play, he flies into challenges. He doesn't, he has no fear at all, but it's almost getting to a point where you start to worry about him and his health, actually. And under that recklessness. Yeah, he's been kicked in the head twice, in hospital twice as well with it. So you've got to think he's going to have a little spell out now to where he's got to, you know, make sure he's, make sure he's okay. And actually needs to probably learn how to go in for a header a bit better, (laughs) a bit of a different way. Um, Paul, where can where can Bristol City? What are the strengths of this Bristol City team, and, and where can they really hurt Derby? I think when we've been at our best, we played sitting back and a bit on the counter attack. We do use Andy Vyman's pace. We've got some people like Callum O'Dowder out wide who can use a bit of pace. Um, and I think that's really our best way. We, I say we we haven't got we don't appear to have a team that can press and put play on the front foot. It's a very different level. We've actually compared ourselves to the situation at Man United quite a lot this season. We don't really appear to have much of a game plan. We've sort of played some counter-attacking football in the past, which has worked to a degree, but we've kind of seemed to have moved away from that. We don't press enough. We don't get on the front foot. So I think that the counter-attack is the best way of doing it. That's obviously not necessarily an easy tactic to play when you're playing at home to the bottom side of the league because, you know, aren't we going to come at us and try and play to enable us to play counter-attacking football? And that's when we get into trouble in home games and where we have for a year or so. Uh, so if Derby are going to come at us and have a go, which certainly I seem to get the feeling they have done the last two or three games, they seem to be almost in a you know, a fighting spirit. Let's, you know, let's fight our way out of this. Then maybe we can play in that way and, and hurt you in that way. And yeah, I'd say Andy Vyman is the main goal threat for us. Um, he's like a Duracell bunny. He doesn't stop running the whole game. So that, that'd be where we go, where we you know, can attack. Um, otherwise, we're, we're really reliant on... This sounds really harsh. We're really reliant on one of our mostly average squad having a better than average game and that's kind of where we seem to be at the moment one one or two can have a better than average game we've got a bit of a chance but at the moment we're unfortunately fairly average most of the time and where where are the opportunities that obviously because you know Wayne Rooney listens to this podcast religiously uh we hope um he doesn't but (laughs) uh, one can live in dream right um where where can Derby get at Bristol City? Where are the real weak points in this in this average squad, like you say? Uh, I think set pieces. We haven't been great defending set pieces, certainly. Down our flanks, we, we've conceded a lot of goals this year with people getting in behind our fullbacks and getting the ball across, which ironically has seemed a bit better the last three games when we switched to wingbacks, which doesn't kind of seem to make a lot of sense tactically. But we, we've, yeah, we've seen, we feel like we can see a lot of goals where the wide man's got in behind and just cut the ball back to someone completely free in the six-yard box um, just to, to tuck the ball in um, and, and set pieces as well. And then the other thing, the big factor of our season is how many late goals we conceded. So we went for a spell. We, I think, well, we were 1-0 up against your uh, your old friends from Nottingham in the 90th minute and still managed to lose the game. So it tells you a lot about how we can capitulate a little bit in the last minute. And that's shown, we've shown a bit more resilience in the last two home games, but there's still... I think a feeling of apprehension and fear every time we get into the last few minutes because it just feels like we're going to concede at any point. Um, so I think it's six goals now we concede in injury time this season. 
So, yeah, I'd say set pieces, don't, you know, get in behind fullbacks and keep going until the 90th minute and you've got half a chance. So, Paul, final couple of questions. Looking to the game, knowing the strengths and weaknesses of Bristol City, um, rolling up to Ashton Gate, how are you expecting this game to go and, and what's your score prediction? I mean... I think it's a bit of a worry. So I, said, I think we've seen your results in the last three games since the points deduction was properly announced. You seem to have, it seems to have ignited something almost in the Derby squad. Um, I, you know, I look at your squad and I think from, you know, from a little bit I see, you see someone like Curtis Davis at the back who's sort of holding it together. You, you kind of feel he'll be able to deal with Chris Martin mostly. I like Tom Lawrence and Max Bird in the midfield. I think they're both, you know, both got, got a bit of quality about them and that's an area where we are struggling at the moment with our, you know, say our injuries and our young players playing in there. Um, and if you, a couple of players to look out for if they play, I mean, Alex Scott and um, Ben Aroos in our midfield are both teenagers. They're both playing for underage sort of England, well, England and international teams. They look really good, but I think what yesterday showed is they can't finish a game together or, yeah, all three of them because it's just a bit too young and a bit inexperienced. But if you can get someone else alongside them in their bit of experience, they look really talented players. We've got to be looking for a win. If you're playing the bottom team, you've got to be looking for a win. Although, as you quite rightly say, you're effectively in the same position as us from a from a points point of view. Um, but yeah, we've we've got some challenges at home. We've got some challenges in our you know general way of play. If we can scrape a one 0 win, I think everyone's going to be happy. Um, but I certainly wouldn't be coming to Ashton Gate with a lot of fear if I was a Derby fan. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I look at this result, and you and you're dead on in what you were saying. I think. Both times Derby have gone into negative points this season. They've gone into negative points twice. They've gotten out of the negative very quickly. And I think it was mm-hmm. very important for Derby. They've had a very tough week. Um, they played Fulham, or sorry, they played Bournemouth, were able to beat Bournemouth 3-2 to get onto zero points. And then they ended up getting a nil-nil draw against Fulham at Craven Cottage to get onto negative points. Obviously, we're recording this on Monday ahead of Derby's match to this evening against yeah. Derby, so we don't know what's going to happen there. Um, but, you know, this team this team might lack a little bit in quality. This is not going to be the same Derby County team that you're going to, that you, that you'll have seen in, in years past, you know, with the free flow and football that looks really, really nice and everything like that. This is very much um, a, a galvanized squad. I think Rooney's took the small squad that he has and he said, look, mm. everyone's laying this stuff on you. You can't worry about that. It's just the man next to you in this dressing room. And there's only 23 men due to the, the squad restriction yeah. a situation where they want to play players from the under 23s, but they can't. Right. Because of the EFL squad restrictions and Rudy yeah. about that because there's some players that he feels that are ready. So that's a bit of a weird situation. Um, but this team, this team does fight. This team does work, work really, really hard. And sometimes it lacks quality, um, mm. but they make up for that by fighting for the man next to him, by fighting for the other, for the other man next to him in a Ram shirt and, 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 and working as hard as they can. And, and, and you're right, I don't think, and this is not to be rude or anything, I think when I look at this Bristol City game, I think they come off of two really tough games against the two top teams in this division, although Bournemouth are very, very off colour. I don't know how they're second in the league, but nevertheless. But then I watched West Brom and I thought, yeah, it's not really that big of a surprise. to me. Mm. Um, you know, and you look at this Bristol City game and you, and you look where Bristol City are, and, and like you just said there, that, you know, the squad's pretty average. The manager doesn't seem to really have an idea. And that was very much what Rooney was doing last year. Rooney was picking the the team and picking the formation based off of the opponent that they were playing. And it, it didn't really work for Wayne at the tail end of last season. When yeah, you- yeah. And it's dangerous for a club like Bristol City, who's been established in the championship for a couple seasons, that they go down to League One. It's going to be a lot 
tougher for them than it would be one of the yo-yo clubs. It's going to be tough for Derby if they go down. But mm. if, if Bristol City gets sucked into that fight, they're not necessarily used to that kind of fight with those players because, like you say, they've got young players. They've got seasoned veterans who've been playing at a higher championship standard than this. Yeah. Um, and so I look at it and I think you maybe maybe this is a good time to play Bristol City before they find a bit of identity before the January transfer window. And with the way that Derby are playing right now, um, obviously two games doesn't necessarily make form. Let's see what they do tonight. And then you have a little bit of yeah, game yeah. form to go on. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this game and I'm thinking Derby could probably try to run out. I think Derby's going to run out one no winners. That's going to be to be my prediction because I think it'll be a set piece. And I think big Curtis Davis, who was our top <laughs> had one in because Nathan Baker, he'll be in hospital because he's <laughs> turning to mush because of all these concussions. So, but I, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Let's put it like that. <laughs> Paul, the exiled Robin on Twitter. Paul, thank you so much for, for spending this time with me and, and giving me some insights on Bristol City. I appreciate it. Um, it's always it's always great to talk to you and, and see you and everything like that. And um, enjoy the game. Enjoy the game on Saturday. And, and we'll speak at the return fixture. Thanks very much, Corey. Before the next segment, I want to quickly talk to you about the Fan Hub app. Fan Hub are looking to put fans first and change the game, giving back to the real heroes of football, us, the fans. Download the app now from Apple or Google stores and get involved predicting lineups, check in on match days and check your fan statistics. Compete against fans of our club and other football teams. Let's help get Derby County up that leaderboard. Also, it's a great way to get media content from all creators across the Fan Hub family, including our stuff at the Rams Review podcast for Derby County. Download today and you can avoid the queue using our unique code. Contact us on social media for more details and check out the FanHub app and website. Before we move on to our next segment, we are proud to announce that we are going to be partnering with two amazing organizations this year. First is going to be Flat Back 4, and the second is Six Yards Out. Flat Back 4 provide a wide range of club um, memorabilia with the kind of foosball four guys um, on it as well. Amazing clothing range. They've got some awesome Derby stuff, so go and check them out. And we'll be doing some competition giveaways um, and various different bits and bobs throughout the season, so stay tuned for that. And our second partnership is going to be with the Six Yard Out folks. They do some amazing different kind of bespoke gifts, all kind of things Derby County. They've got England mugs, Derby County mugs, and various different kits, and you can get them customized and have old players on them. Um, some really amazing things. You can use Rams Review as a, as a coupon code there as well and get 10% off. Really proud to be partnering with two amazing retail retail partners. So be on the lookout for those um, and check them out if you haven't already. Um, again, that's, that's Flatback 4 and Six Yards Out. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the next segment. All right. Our thanks to Paul the Exiled Robin for, for talking with me about Bristol City. But now, as I promised at the beginning of the episode, Jason is here with me. Jason, you were unable to join me for the Bristol City segment, but you're here with me now. We've watched the QPR game, and I want to get your thoughts and our thought, my thoughts on it. We're going to discuss that. But first, Jason, how the heck are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Uh, yes, I was busy uh, working working away, so unfortunately the internet signal is terrible. So I couldn't... couldn't you do a thing yeah. in your office, like away days, and then you share like pictures from your away trips when you're traveling? Or is that just... Uh, you see, a lot, a lot of the people that I work with are all like Birmingham fans, and so it's it's quite boring, really. Oh yeah, that's worse. Yeah, so at least they're not at least they're not Forest fans. Well, exactly. Would... Got yeah, a couple of Villa, a couple of West Brom. I've got I've got a mix of them, West Midlands. So you know, that's all. It's all fun, but um, no, unfortunately, there's not much banter that goes on, really. So that's a shame. Yeah, I mean, what are they, what are they going to say? They're all like Euro dear Derby supporter and. Birmingham, that's okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, but yes, unfortunately, fine. unfortunately, I couldn't make the uh, the episode with 
with with the preview for Bristol. But you're right. I am here. I did watch the game on Monday night, and do you know what? I mean, we spoke obviously after the game, and I've kind of the slept on it thoughts coined by Ed does. Um, my thoughts actually further away from the game uh, are different to my initial reaction. My initial reaction was kind of like Derby when Derby were going to be fortunate to get something out of what what are now the top three sides. Um, you know, getting points from the top three sides in the division. Derby were always going to do well to do that. Um, and I just thought it was one of those performances where you go, okay, maybe it was just a step. You know, that one step too far. But actually thinking about it now and re-watching the highlights and, you know, taking sort of, I suppose, the emotion out of the game from it. I actually thought Derby were quite poor, Corey. Um, I thought defensively they were all over the place, all game, actually. I, I don't, when you've got an attacking threat, and don't get me wrong, Bournemouth had an attacking threat and obviously Fulham had an attacking threat, but when you've got the attacking threat that QPR have got, I don't think Derby was smart enough at the back. I think the early goal obviously helped massively and you know that was a that was a great goal and in all fairness Derby probably could have been two up in that first 15 minutes QPR just weren't at the races but as soon as QPR got a foothold in that game like Bournemouth did previously and and then obviously Derby managed to turn that round I never felt like Derby were going to be able to turn it round you know once the equaliser went in I felt Derby were hanging on um, and I think Wayne did try and, and push Obviously, an 89th minute wonder goal, which we're going to go and talk, you know, we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, I think there was, there was too many below par performances uh, on Monday night, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, we played Wednesday, Monday, so there was a five day break. OK, it's very much the same side, but it was a five day break. You, you can't really put it down to that. I just think they were off the boil on Monday night, unfortunately. And that, that was a bit costly. So, you know, it, the, the whole game as a whole, I was, yeah. I'm a bit disappointed by, and actually, you know, we, we shouldn't be sat in a position where Derby County are bottom of the league with, with what one point and say that you're disappointed with the team. But I know it's one thing that we've said all along, you know, win, lose or draw. We're not that bothered. We just want to see the fight and a bit of, a bit of courage from Derby, which we have seen in, in large bundles throughout the course of this season. Obviously then it's all about the next game, the reaction to the next game, which is obviously Bristol city. Is it, was it just a one-off like Birmingham? Uh, and and Derby can then you know go to go to Ashton Gate on Saturday and, and get something out of it. If they can, then you just put this one down as a okay. It's just one of those games, isn't it? Yeah, and this is where I'm going to disagree with you, Jason. I we we agree on a lot of different things, but I thought for that I thought Derby played quite well, to be honest. For the first, like you say, for the first half of the game against QPR, I think that was helped a little bit with QPR being a little bit um, off the boil. And to be fair, you know, you could say that about the the top three teams that we've played recently with Bournemouth, Fulham and, and QPR, neither of those teams, when you, when you set out, you go, okay, the third in the table, first in the table, second in the table, every you're expecting a performance from them. And Darby have been very fortunate that they didn't get a performance out of any of the team really for a full 90 minutes. I thought Darby played really well uh, in the opening, in the opening stands in the opening half of the game. Um, and I was sitting at halftime and I was thinking, okay, you know, Darby's in control of this game, you know, four points is on the card, zero win. That's going to be really nice. Um, and then, you know, like you say, for whatever reason, I think it was about 54 minutes or something like that. Whatever happened, QPR just started to um, to, to, dom- to dominate the ball. Um, Darby looked on the back foot, and obviously they got the goal from Willick, who was, I thought Willick was outstanding throughout, to be honest with you. 
Um, they got the goal. And then like you, I was just kind of like, yeah, I don't see Darby getting three points out of this. I don't see where the goal threat's coming. I know I texted you and said, this is why we need, you know, center forward in this team. We'd be a hell of a lot better off um, as, as a lot of teams would, but strictly speaking as Darby County. But um, yeah, as soon as Willick scored that goal, I thought, yeah, definitely, you know, definitely we can hang on for a point here. We're playing well enough to get a point. And then the wonder goal, which we will, which we will break down um, obviously, obviously hurts the hearts of, of Darby fans and, and me and you as well. But, you know, let's talk about that first half, Jason, and the one moment, the, the one key moment. Um, well, there's two key moments in that match for, uh, in the first half for me. First of all, what a ball from Graham Shinney. He basically split that defense wide open, you know, like you're throwing a watermelon on the floor. It just, just it cut them all out. What an amazing pass from Graham Shinney. And what a finish from what a finish from Tom Lawrence. And I don't know what commentary team you had on Sky, but I had the international commentary and um the commentator goes, well, I'm not sure Tom Lawrence is trying to hit it there. And I'm thinking he, he put it in the upper 90. Where else is he trying to hit it over the bar? Obviously he meant to do that. And, and then, you know, um, you know, what, what a wonder strike it was. And then, I mean, incredible, obviously goal of the month. I would think, and I think if you saw that in a premier league game, you'd still be taking it bow. So well done, Tom Lawrence. Yeah. I mean, first, first point is, I've, I mean, I thought it was Graham Shinney who put the ball in. But then I've listened back. I've listened back to the highlights from Radio Derby, and they said it was Max Bird. So I'm not. I'm not actually no, it was sure. Graham Shinney. But, but I thought it was, it was Graham Shinney. I thought yeah, it, it was, was Graham Shinney. Um, well, I mean, what more do you expect from the Scottish Perlow, You know. But I mean, I mean, when did Derby last score a goal like that? Oh, that was it, top it, draw. It was. It, it was fantastic. Um, great ball. Great vision. Good run from Tom. I mean, finally, after four years, have we found his best position as a false nine? I mean, it, it's incredible. He's on. He's on to fight. I thought he was. Get, I thought he was busy all night. The second half, he was hampered by an injury. You could see that. Um, I think he went shoulder to shoulder with the line the corner, didn't he? And he was yeah, off best. Which was a shame. But I thought again at first half he was busy. And yeah, I mean, it is. A, it's a cracking finish. But you know, that's what you you can get from Tom Lawrence. And we've just got to help. Obviously, he did pull up. We've just got to hope that that's not too serious because. If it is, then obviously that's another worry, and we'll we'll worry about that if you know if that becomes the case. But you know, to, to the Tom Lawrence point, Jason is I have said several times that Tom Lawrence is a probably Derby's most influential player when he's yeah. on. He's a very very important player for this football club, and I know he came out after the news, you know, and he said that he wants to give performances that that make people proud. And, and to be honest, I was you know players say that all the time, and you think, yeah, sure, okay you know, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times, whatever. But since then, I mean, his last three or four games against these, these teams have been, been really good. And this is the Tom Lawrence that we need to see from Derby County. And if they can keep Tom Lawrence in this form and he can keep up this kind of thing, that's what we need to see from Tom. That's the Tom Lawrence that we need and we expect. And that's the, that's the player that, you know, is Derby County captain and is that influential. So he needs to be playing at these levels week in and week. And I said that to you a couple of weeks ago is, you know, he had a great game, um, and it was like, okay, well, now can he sustain this for a couple more? And he has sustained it for a couple more. So, so fair play, Tom Lawrence, very much on form, very much on fire right now in the man in form. So long may that continue because Darby desperately need his his quality in the final third. Because if he puts performances in like that, Darby's going to have a chance in, in all of these games. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And I mean, he, he was what a, a half a foot away from making it one nil after about forty seconds, straight from the kickoff. It was a, it was a great move, and. and like you say, we we will agree to disagree on the on this uh, performance, which is it's about time that we disagreed with each other, Corey. To be honest, because sometimes just going, oh yeah, we agree, that can get a bit boring. But I th- I just thought that first half, I thought Derby looked better 
because I don't think QPR were at the races at all. You, you could see they really weren't at the races. Um, the second half, I think they just went up one gear and, and Derby couldn't cope with it. Is my is, is my honest opinion. Yeah, um, and obviously that that is a worry. That's been obvious. I appreciate we have to put into the context of who we're playing. Um, Bournemouth aside, you know the the, the Fulham and uh, the QPR game second half has not lived up to the to the same quality as the first half from a Derby's perspective performance. Um, but I, I mean, I will give credit where credit's due. Of course, I will. It it was a good team goal. It, it was good. I just thought Derby looked so open at the back. They really did. Um, and it was and, one of the worst defensive performances of the mm, season, which was which was surprising. Yeah, and I don't think Graham Shinney, other than that ball. Uh, I, we spoke obviously in uh, to Ian, and we said, you know, the midfield battle was going to probably dictate which way this game went. And I just thought QPR's midfield two got the better got the better of the game. And like you said, you've got Willock up front, who I would agree with you uh, played played really well. Charlie Austin, you know exactly what you're going to get from Charlie Austin. Um, I don't understand the goal celebration, but never or the assist uh, celebration. I don't, uh, I don't understand that. But. No, we won't we won't talk about that. But what what I will talk about is the. Um, in about the 50th minute where he pulled out the nine iron from his back pocket uh, to, to, for a ball that was absolute peach from the right-hand side. He, he, he's, he just got a golf swing of a foot and dropped it straight on the attack. And obviously Derby managed to, managed to muster that one away, but it was an absolute fantastic ball from a veteran experienced footballer. That, that is what, that is what you, you know, what you expect. Um, and then, yeah, I think, there's probably not a lot of note else to, to talk about that first half. I think there was a couple of balls. Forsyth put a couple of balls in. Burn put a couple of absolute brilliant defence splitting passes. The ball just wasn't dropping to a derby forward. We did have lack of numbers going forward. Obviously, one of the things you're going to get when you play a false nine and something, again, we scream out for a number nine because somebody in there is going to nine times out, well, not nine times out of 10, but probably a seven, seven times out of 10. They're going to, they're going to get on the end of those. They're going to gamble because they've got that finishing instinct. They've got that gamble. And, you know, Derby may well, could have been easily out of sight in that first half, but I don't think that's too much to do with how well Derby played. I think that's got a bit more to do with how, how poor QPR's back line looked. Because I thought QPR's back line looked disturbed. Um, and they, they were, they were struggling to, to contain Derby. Um, and as we say, unfortunately, that second half, don't know if it was words from Warburton or, you know, the intensity drop from Derby or they just stepped it up or a mixture of all three. But QPR in that second half, Corey, were an absolute different animal. And it they showed were. why they are pushing in that top six and why they're currently sat in third place. And they have, as we're going to go on to talk about, they've got natural finishers in their side. Yeah. And it's just weird to see. I mean, we see this. It's not weird to see because she's all the time at football, but. You know, Derby were in control of that game up until halftime. Uh, like you said, QPR weren't really interested, I don't think, in the first half. I mean, I'm sure they were interested. They were just having a bit of an off night. And in about 54 minutes or something like that, something changed for QPR, and they just started dominating possession. They dominated on the ball. Um, and it really put Derby on the back foot. I know that there was a ball through. I think it was for the Willett goal. Um, there might have been a shout for offside. Haven't looked at the replay, though. Looked like he was on um, playing the ball. But – yeah, it was very uh, it was very unlike Derby this season to have the defensive performance that they did. I think um, I think there was a you know when you look at the midfield three of Thompson, Bird, and and Shinny, Shinny was hauled off and and not the obviously Thompson played very well, but you'd expect if you're chasing a goal late in the game, you keep your experienced you know Scottish international on the pitch and you take off the eighteen or the the young lad Thompson. I think he's eighteen. 
Shinny came off. So that kind of tells you what kind of game Shinny was having. And that's uh, twice in two games. That's twice in two games, Corey. And I, I don't want to not just to cut across you. I don't want to knock Graham Shinny because he has been consistently the best player in a Derby shirt for the last eighteen months. But he has played a hell of a lot of football over that eighteen month period. Maybe exactly. just maybe it is time for him just to have you know that that one a game, game break, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you look at it and you think, okay, this Derby team. I mean, there are there's 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 quality in there, but you're relying on players to play three games in ten days, as all teams are. But Derby don't have the luxury of being able to rotate through them like other teams do, and not like you know we're not talking about making wholesale changes like City or Liverpool or you know, one of the big six clubs, but, you know, being able to rotate players like a Graham Shinny rest him for a couple Darby don't have that luxury. So you're going to see that those kind of things catch up. We, we talked about the need for a center forward that has to be addressed somewhere in January, whether it's a loan or it's a, a free agent. I'm not sure the whole deal with loan fees and that kind of stuff with the embargo, but they definitely need to look at that option. We talked about Sam Baldock last week on the pod. Um, and it was just, it was just very strange. And I, I agree. I think QBR just, just, not tip tipped it up as a notch. And I don't remember Sonny Diang, to be honest, being troubled at all, other than the Lawrence shock effort. I don't think he got his jersey because I don't think he had to make a save um, because Darby didn't have anything really going forward. Um, I want to talk about a conundrum in midfield that I've been, that I've been knocking around in my head in a little bit, Jason, but first, should we, should we talk about this goal uh, from Andre Gray? I mean, look, we know the quality that they have, but when you, when you look at it, um, Really, there were two difference makers on that field uh, the other night. Well, there were three, really. Stefan Johansson in midfield, right? Premier League quality uh, from Fulham. Charlie Austin, who spent a long time in the Premier League, putting that ball across. And then the finish by, you know, veteran striker Andre Gray um, with a lot of Premier League experience as well. And, and I know Gray's had a bit of a tough time of it, you know, the last couple of years. But, I mean, what a worldy finish. And, and the thing is, it, it's a kind of a two-sided coin because, yeah, it's a worldy finish. And if you're going to lose a football match, lose it to a worldly finish like that. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it was very, very good goal. I mean, it made ESPN sports centers top 10 plays of the game here. So I got to watch it when I was in the gym the previous morning, which at five o'clock in the morning, watching that on TV is not ideal when you're dead beat, you don't really want to be watching it. So that, you know, it reverberated, it reverberated even here as well. Um, but I mean, he took like two juggles and then just swiveled and hit it into the top corner. Um, and, 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 you know, at the end of the day, completely gut punching to me because I thought, Darby's bang on here for a point, you know, definitely, they, I feel like they've definitely done enough to get a point. I feel like they deserved a point. I know Rooney said they didn't play well enough or deserve anything. I thought they should have got a point, but you know, um, yeah. Walk me through your thoughts on that great finish, Jason. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those that eight times out of 10, that doesn't go in the top, you know, it doesn't See, fire the into thing. the top corner. That's the exact thing. And that but goes it, to the argument later on. Yeah, but it, but it is a brilliant finish. Uh, it's disappointing that it's in the 89th minute, but like you say, if you're going to lose a game, lose it to a goal like that. Um, don't lose it to a goal like we did in the first, that, you know, QPR's equaliser early on in the half, which is just defensively all over the place. Um, and Well, I mean, that's again, when you look at that goal, Shinny tracks the man for 40 yards. And then all of a sudden, like, ball, and he starts running towards Charlie Austin and leaves Willick completely unmarked, although he tracked him for such a long period of time. Yep. Which again was a good finish from Willock, and we know that he, you know, he's in he's in inspiring form for QPR this season. I mean, it is it is a really nice finish, but that's a disappointment to concede. The second one, people will argue that the defense should have done better. I mean, I think the build up, I think the ball in, I think the clearance that wasn't great from a Derby's perspective. But when anybody's got back to goal 18, 16, 18 yards out, turns on a swivel, two touches, and fires it top corner, there is nothing that you can do about that. There really isn't. Um, and it, it was disappointing. 
And yeah, I, I was watching it and I kind of went, oh, shite. You know, oh, we, we've just lost out on a point. But I, I will, I actually will agree with with Wayne Rooney. I don't think Derby did deserve anything out of the game. I really, I don't because we know Derby's predicament. We know that Derby have done this for the last two years where they play in patches. Playing in patches is fine if you, but you know, you, you've got to turn, you have got to be switched on. You've got to be turned on for the full 90. Otherwise, if you're not, you aren't going to pick up results in this division. You're not going to pick up results in any division. Um, so I can see it from his point of view as well. But, I, I, you know, you, I, you have to look at it. You are at home. You were 1-0 up. Okay, you went 1-1. You are in the dying embers of the game. Yes, there is that disappointment that Derby haven't come out with anything. But if, you know, if that Andre Gray goal came after 70 minutes and, and that was it, you'd go QPR full value for the win. So it, it's a bit of a, dip, it, for me personally, I think it's a bit of a difficult balancing act. I think it's, it, don't underestimate, you know, the time and the game that it came. I think, in all fairness, QPR... I think shaded it and, and and you can see why with the quality that they've got, why they're in that, as I say, why they're in that top three and, and why Derby are in the bottom three. It's quite, it's quite obvious. The chasm, the chasm is there. There's no doubt about it, but they, they, they didn't get walked over. Like, you know, we, we predicted on the preview. We thought I went for one, one. I know you went for a QPR win. I don't think it was an absolute bowling over, but the the difference in quality is there to be seen. Uh, and I think the result was fair, to be honest, in, in that would, way. Would your disappointment in not getting anything at the QPR uh, fixture, is that it? Is that because of the way Derby performed in the previous two games? Because you're looking at it, right? If I, if, I said, if I said to you a month ago, Jason, in these next three games against the three top sides in this division, Derby have picked up four points. Would you have been happy? Oh, yeah. Well, of course, yeah. But, but now with the performances of Bournemouth and Fulham, now it's a disappointment, isn't it, to – to yeah or is it in the way that they are in, in the in the nature of the loss of the game but I, I think that i think that's it yeah i think that's it i think we, we obviously we've seen games a lot of games this season in particularly where derby have, have performed better than the points tally that they've got i think it is fair to say and they always say obviously 46 games it swings and roundabouts it usually does even itself up over the course of the season I just don't think that performance last night merited merited anything out of the game. Same as the performance against Birmingham, which I know we lost, did not. Same same at Blackburn, didn't we didn't deserve anything out of the game, and we lost all three. Um, I don't think any game that we've lost really this season, Derby have massively deserved anything out of. Sheffield United aside, because wasn't that was like an eighty what eighty ninth minute penalty or whatever, where Derby were actually good value for a point in that game. But you know there will be games. You look at the West Brom. You look at the Fulham's, where yes, from a disp- from a defensive display, were fantastic. And if you don't concede, you're always guaranteed a point, aren't you? Let's ba- let's face it. But if you look in the whole context of the game, where Derby actually in those games as a, as a football inside, no, no, they weren't. So their their points gained rather than points dropped. And I, I just think I do think Monday night was a bit of a. Yeah, okay, you look at it. I'm not so confident. If Derby had come out with a point, we'd obviously we'd all be sat here going, okay, we, we took a point, but th- they were never winning that game, in my opinion. Um, and I think a draw would have been slightly you could have argued the toss either way, I think, if that was a fair point or not. Um, but I, I've got no complaints about that. And as we will say a lot this season, Corey, Derby have just got to dust themselves down. There's there's no midweek game to worry about, so we've got a seven-day break now. That will help, obviously. And, 
you know, we, we go into a game on Saturday against a team that are, are struggling for form at home. And it's it's another chance to to put points on the board, and and that's I don't think you can look at it in any other way, and I don't think we've had at all this season two games back to back where Derby have been below par, so we are expecting a response as such uh, on Saturday, and if it doesn't come, then maybe you know the, the haters will come out and the wrist slashes will come out, and, and there'll there'll be more there'll be more questions asked, but. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not knocking Derby for the way that they played on Monday night. I'm. I'm disappointed that they didn't get something out of the game, but I. I, I just think you've got to take take stock, like you said. You know, you look at those three games. If you looked at those three games before we'd played them, and somebody went, well, Derby would have beat, but would have beat uh, Bournemouth. They were full value for the point against Fulham. Um, could have easily gone either way that game, and and in some respects, it could have gone either way Monday night. Would have would you would you've taken that? Uh, absolutely, of course you would taken it. But as we mentioned on the last pod, it's probably the next four games or the next three four games before before the Christmas fixtures. This is where Derby are going to are going to have to pick results up. They're going to have to if they want to do the unthinkable. They're going to have to get. They're going to they're almost going to have to be unbeaten in these next four with at least two wins, if not three. Yeah, when I when I look at when I look at the remaining parts of the season and you're talking about the great escape and everything like that, and is it possible, whatever? And it surely is. There's plenty enough games and the maths are still there to be able to do this. But you're looking now at between now and May, and, and I look at it now as a numbers game. And I look at it now and I think, okay, between now and the end of the season, Derby could probably afford to lose three games, and they can probably afford to draw three or four games. And outside of that, they pretty much have to win them all. So then you're looking at, okay, QPR was a loss. So, you know, is that too, you know, and you start looking at it, okay, if they lose it or then they draw it, then you start looking and it starts to become the numbers of, okay, we probably have a little bit of a cushion that we can slip up on, but it's not a big cushion. So that, that stuff needs to be changed. I want to talk to you real quick, Jason, because um, this is something I, I talked about with, with my dad at length. We had a debate about this um, and I wanted to get your, your thoughts on this. Um, and th- this is this is a strange one because this player split, splits the fan base. But first of all, let's talk Ravel Morris. And Ravel Morrison played um, about an hour. Uh, I know when he went off, he petulantly threw his gloves away like big man. I, I hate to see that stuff uh, and whatever. But I think he was his kind of role in the team for that game was playing as the invisible man. Um, I didn't really see him get on the ball and and, and do very much. So my question to you is this. Okay, so that's that's my point on Ravel Morrison, and I want to hear your thoughts on Ravel in a minute. And then on the bench, Darby have Camille Jujviak, right? And, and we know that Camille Jujviak's numbers have not been great for Darby. We've only like a couple goals scored or whatever it's been since his move and, and, and what have you. <clears throat> and he did come on to the game. When he did come on to the game, Darby didn't play it down that side. They mostly went down the side with Epicelli. Um, yet Juzviak plays on that side for Poland. So they put him on the other side. So my, my question to you is, with Ravel Morrison's performances dropping and him having less and less of an influence in, in the games in recent weeks, would they be better? And I know I understand that they play different positions. That is not, that is, you know, you could move, in theory, you could move Knight to the midfield and Jujviak out to the wing, right? To to replace Knight could play the Morrison role and Jujviak can go out to the wing. Would you rather see Camille Jujviak instead of Ravel Morrison in this team? Because I mean, at the end of the day, 
Kamil Juzwiak is a Poland international. He performs well for Poland. Um, obviously, I understand this different levels, and he's landed off at Lewandowski, which is completely different than laying off to what he was laying off at Derby. But isn't it time now that your four and a half million pound Polish international doesn't need to be sitting on his hands on the bench and he needs to be on the field? Because you would think an international quality player, when I think of an international quality player, which he is, they just have that little bit extra. And whether he's performing or not performing, give him a run in the team and see what he can do from now until January. And then, you know, maybe up sticks or not, but having him sit on his hands for, for an hour or 70 minutes when you have another player out there in Ravel, who's not necessarily putting up trees right now, what are your thoughts on, on that? Because if it was me, I'd be playing Juzviak right now instead of Morrison. I'm curious to see what you would think about that. Uh, yeah, I, I would, I would have to agree at the minute. It's, it, I suppose it's the lesser of two evils kind of thing. I think one thing that strikes me is obviously Liam Thompson came into the side, plays that role that Ravel Morrison was playing, you know, sits deep, tries to start off the moves. And, and we've screamed for weeks, and a lot of Derby fans have screamed for weeks that they want to see Ravel Morrison further forward. He got his opportunity on Monday night to to play that exact role, and he was he was a bystander. I, I don't remember him touching the ball. I, I, I really can't. I, he was not influenced. He, he, there was no. Imp- I just. I, on one side, I don't get it. But on the other side, I do because Ravel Morrison, ever since he left Manchester United, has been a, has been a journeyman. He's never ever re- realised his full potential. That's why he's only played, you know, fifty games in in eight years or whatever it may well be. The commentary said something crazy. It was like this is the most game Ravel Morrison's played since he was in Mexico playing for Atlas in Guadalajara, and that was like four years ago or three years ago or something like that. I mean, well, we're we're only in December. He's only played like what fifteen games or something like that. Like that. exactly, exactly. This this is the thing. I mean, he was obviously he was a gamble. We go back to last year. Colin Kazim Richards was a gamble. If it wasn't for Colin Kazim Richards, Derby County wouldn't be in the championship this year. I think it's fair to say. I know he's had injury this year, but in I, I, his working back, he's possibly not at full fitness. We don't know the answer to that question. But Colin Kazim Richards is influence on this team this season on the pitch I don't think has been as strong as it was last year in fact he's been nowhere near as strong but that signing was a gamble nobody knew how it was going to work out a similar career path to Ravel Morrison he's been around the world applying his trade never really settled at one place uh, but brings bags of quality uh, technical ability and experience and Ravel Morrison was another gamble signing and I'll be frank about it, Corey, other than a 25-yard goal against Salford, what has he actually done at Derby the, so far this season? If you if the chips were down, you're going to pull him apart. That's justifying his selection? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, you, I don't know. No. that that and when, you look at it, when you look at it, though, and, and you sit there and you look at Camille Juzviak, who's not performed for Derby really in, in a long stretch, right? Because, again, Camille Juzviak's very good. Then he gets to the final third, and it's like, Altitude sickness. I don't know what I'm doing this far, whatever. But why is Juzviak, why is Morrison giving more slack than Juzviak? Yeah, I mean, because I, the, I the, they're both not performing, but you would think a Poland, I mean, obviously, I know, I know Ravel plays for Jamaica and, and whatever, and he plays well against the Turks and Caicos Islands. I, I got it. Okay. But Camille Juzviak, he costs a bit of money. It's, it's a position that Darby needs to buy. I mean, they're starting Jason Knight on the wing when we know Jason's like, 
better centrally. And Juzviak's on the bench. And then when Juzviak does come on, they don't play on the side that he plays for Poland where he performs. They put him on the other side. And then they run everything through Eveselli's side when Eveselli comes on. And Eveselli did all right. Don't get me wrong. When he came on, there's nothing wrong. This is not criticism of Festi Eveselli. But it's like you're not necessarily setting the lineup for success in order to drive on. And yes, he's been given chances. But if you're looking at the production of Ravel Morrison versus the production of Kemil Juzviak, you've played Morrison a lot more. He's still not producing. Why don't we try something different? Yeah. You're assuming the quality of Kamil Juzviak at some point is going to shine through because he, he's playing for a, a, a better European country internationally and performing well, and he has performed well. So he's I, got about him because fools don't play for Poland. Okay, this again, the, there's levels of international football. He's not a San Marino and Andorra international. That's no disrespect for them, but right, because they're better footballers than me. But he's playing for Poland. That's like a quarter, solid quarterfinal World Cup kind of team all the time. Mm. It's a top, top twenty nation, I would think, in world football. I would have thought so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think. Do you know? I think. Uh, obviously, they, they we don't. Well, when we play Ravel Morrison out on the wing, he's he's non-existent as well. I th- I think uh, obviously we've seen it this season where Juzviak's defensive abilities has been criticised, maybe not publicly, but I think dragging him out of the team was more to do with with defensive defensiveness. And when Jason Dyke plays on the right wing, because he can slot in at right back, and we actually saw this on Monday against QPR, Jason Knight is on the edge of the 18-yard box defending and Nathan Burns behind him. So you've got those two players that side. And I, I, I do think it's down to that. Now, we know he plays... I know usually he plays the wing-back role for Poland. and But for some reason, he can't... He, he just doesn't seem to turn that form at Derby. And that's why I think he's not in the side, but I do think use, do you know, it's, it's really hard. I think with the way that Derby are playing now, Corey, with the way that Derby are playing now with a false nine yesterday in that particular game, uh, sorry, on Monday, Monday night uh, in that particular game, playing Lawrence as a false nine, having Juzviak in behind instead of Ravel Morrison, I personally thought would have been, is a better option. We can, I mean, just because he's left footed doesn't mean he can play on the left wing. We know that. We've we've always seen him on the right hand side for Derby, and I think it's fair to say Jason Knight. We, we've got we've got a busy midfield as we as well. We we're stacked in the midfield option, and you can't put them all out there. But I actually think Jason Knight on the right wing works better. Um, so I don't think he's getting humped out of the team. And of course, then you've not got anybody to play on the left hand side. Sibley's not touching the first team at the minute. Um, you know, so who else does play on that on that left hand side? And because he's a natural left footer, I think you do have to go with Yuzviak there. But the problem is what you've got there is also now, obviously, you know, don't like to call out individuals. Craig Forsyth on Monday night, you can't call yeah, that. Let's defending. just leave it. Let's just leave that performance where it was. Craig yeah. Forsyth on Monday night. Yeah, blank. that was it. Yeah. And and that's the problem. So if you've got somebody who's perform who's not performing defensively at left back, but then you've got a left winger who's expected to track back and do the defensive side of it as well, who who clearly doesn't do the defensive side on it in a championship game. We've because we, we've seen that over the last eighteen months. That left side would be would for me personally so, be too weak. So so then my point to you is why don't they switch Ebbasele to that side? Because we saw this in Peterborough when Ebbasele was playing ahead of Burn. One of Nathan Burn's best attributes is being able to overlap and put crosses in. But when Ebbasele's on that side, he likes to play wide and it stops Byrne from doing what he wants to do. So put Ebbasele on that side and he's got the pace and the young energy to, to track back. Then you've I got think, the other side. I think for that, me personally, when I watch it, 
Ebisele is great between the halfway line and the 18 yard box. I don't particularly, and his pace beats. A no, lot he's of not people. very good defensive. I'm just saying he can get no, back. No, I mean, sorry. No, I mean, in terms of going forward, right. I actually don't think crossing is his, is his greatest strength. And I think we've seen a bit of that. And this is no knock on the lad. Sometimes pace is fighting and he can find a pass. But if he's bombing down the wing and he's got two defenders with him and he needs to get a ball in, I don't think his quality of ball at the moment for an 18-year-old Corey who's only played four, five professional games, I don't think it's it's quite good enough. So moving him over onto the left-hand side, which is technically his weaker side, surely that's, again, that's not really going to, that that's not going to aid anything either. Yeah, but then he's not crossing, he's cutting in and hoping to have a shot. That's true. I mean, th- there is that option. But I think Kamal Yosviak, for me personally, sit him in the number, sit him in the 10 roll. Sit him in the 10 roll. And behind see, Lawrence. Yeah, behind Lawrence in a false nine and see what he can do. I don't think you've got anything to lose because like you say, Ravel Morrison at this moment in time and has for the last couple of games, well, the last three or four games that he's played has been a bystander. And we obviously as a collective can't afford, Derby County can't afford to be playing with 10 men every week or, or nine men or whatever it may well be. Derby County can't afford that. I mean, you might get that. Like you say, you might put Yuzviak in for three or four games and he does absolutely nothing. If that's the case, he needs to go in January. I think well, a lot of, course, of people have made to, that you mind need to up see what anyway. You have in the guy. That's my of point course. is yes. you're sitting here, you've paid four and a half million pounds from a lad from like Posner. We know that he's been good mates with Bielik. Bielik's been hurt and he's struggled to adjust. We, we know that this has happened. But this is now his second season and you're sitting there and you're expecting Camille to, to kick on, to, to do something. And I think having him sit on the bench on his hands and then expecting him with 20 minutes to go to come on and be outstanding for 20 minutes. It's a bit of a ludicrous suggestion. It's like when, like, you know, like they bring Kazim Richards on a five minutes to go, what's he expected to do in five minutes? You know what I mean? The guy's not Messi or Ronaldo. Yeah. Like what, what are they expected to do? It's, so it's I, always difficult for the forward people to come I, on I in a game, think, isn't it, Corey? Yeah. But I just think it's, it's time. Get Kemal Jujviak in the side. We understand. I, look, I'm not. I'm not for Kamil Jujviak. I'm not against Kamil Jujviak. I know it splits opinions, but I'm just saying, give the give the lad three or four a, a run of three or four or five games from now until January in the team. And if he performs well, great. If he doesn't perform, then you have your answer about what kind of the quality of player that he's performing. He's been given enough chances. Then then he's been given enough chances. And 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 see 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 if someone else wants to if he's available somewhere else, but you have to give the lad a fair opportunity to, to be in this team because he's been sticking around. He's obviously in training. He's sitting on the bench and you have a Polish international sitting on the bench for a team that is bottom of the championship. Yeah. The mind boggles. If this was another team, Jason, if this was Wickham or Port Vale, not Port Vale, but if this was uh, Middlesbrough or this was Nottingham Forest, or this was, uh, Coventry or something, and they were in the exact same position in Luton or something like that. And we were on the outside looking in, and we said, "Wait a minute, they got a Polish international on the on the bench." Well, we get it regularly when we do our reviews. People ask about him, and we're like, "Is no way." Yeah, but right, but we be sitting there going, "Why is he on the bench?" Yeah. So, so, so stick him in there, see what he can do, because he literally cannot be any worse than Ravel Morrison right now, and you know, because Ravel Morrison is, is literally the invisible man. No, I would agree. I would agree. He's literally, he, he started out the season well. His influences started to wane. Maybe it's a tiredness issue, like the shinny thing. Maybe it's a tiredness issue mentally. You know, sit him on the bench, get him away. I know when we talked to Ian Foyer, that's what he said, you know, when he was working with goalkeepers. If a goalkeeper was poor, he'd have him give him a couple of days off. Get, let him just step away and do something different 
instead of playing football, go play basketball or something or whatever, you know, just to get his mind right. Let him just take a break from it. Let him sit on the bench and play Kamil Juzviak because it literally could not, you, you can't get any less production out of Juzviak than what you're already getting out of Morris. No, I, I'd fully agree. Sorry. I, w- I would fully agree. I think obviously, you know, some fans would say that, what is it, 60-odd appearances for Derby in, in two seasons and his return with one goal and one assist is is proof enough that he's not good enough at this level. But but you're right. I do think you do. Dar- Darby, you just said we can't afford any passengers, so you can't have Ramel no. Morris being a passenger and then Kamel Juzviak, who's been a passenger for 18 months, and just be like, well, he's been a passenger for Give the lad an opportunity. Yeah. Give him an opportunity because there's been other players that have had opportunities, and he's not. I think you're right. I, I do think you're right because I don't. I don't. But I think it's more, it's more the fact that you're right because Derby don't have any other options. Uh, I think that's obviously we are working with a very, very tight, tight knit squad. I mean, we could be sat here in what two weeks' time, and a certain Christian Bielik's name appears on a team sheet. We, we were told somewhere in and around December he may well be back. Usually, I could then turn into the Polish international that he is at Derby. We we just don't know the answer to that. Um, and I think the other side of it to me is of course the world looks at him because he does it on a Polish, you know, he does it on the Polish stage. If he is clearly somebody who is worth money, we know that if scouts are coming, you know, if the, if the rumors out there is that he, 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 you know, he's, his time's up at Derby or whatever, you're going to want to put him in that shop window and get the best possible price that you can for him. So having him playing in these next few games up to the run till January, I think is a good idea as well. But I think the main point, like you said there, I don't see how he can do any worse. I really don't see how he can do any worse. And that goes for Louis Sibley too, Corey. He's, he's not been in and around it. He's been back in the under-23s. Maybe that's what he needed, an attitude. Thing. Well, not attitude, but you know, just the way he goes about the game and whatever. We know that but he's fell off the face of the earth in terms of the first team over the last few weeks. Maybe it's time to start bringing him back because he scored a hat-trick. I think he's got a hat-trick for the under-23s last week. Same as Jack Stratton. I know there's some of these players, we can't play them at the minute because of the numbers and, and the rules and the sanctions that we've got against us, which is an absolute joke. That's farcical. Yeah, but because uh, I think there's another lad down there, isn't there? Liam Plange, who came from Arsenal's Academy, who bangs them in for the under-23s. Yep, and I know he wants to play Cashin as well. Yeah, because uh, the they, are the fu- they are the future. And Cashin, I mean, I saw him at Notts County in a pre-season friendly. And I mean, it's Notts County, good. but he looked very, very good. He's somebody that, with the likes of Davis and Jagielka alongside of him, what a mentor. If Jagielka and Davis leave at the end of the season and then it's just Aaron Cashin with and another, he's lost that opportunity. Okay, he's getting it in training, but in a match-to-match situation, he needs to be given that opportunity. And let's hope in January, actually, that you know the rules are relaxed for Derby a little bit and he, gets, he does get an option. But uh, yeah, it, it's one of those. But I, I think you're right. I think on the Ravel thing, it's, it was the gamble, Corey. It, it was the gamble well, I'm just that saying, was taken. I mean, there's still a player in there because we've seen that he has the ability. It's just the last three or four weeks, his performance levels have declined so much. I mean, Ravel Morrison is, okay, I've talked about Kevin, Ravel Morrison is Jamaican international. He's played for some very big clubs. He's been around the block and whatever. And he's being outshone by Liam Thompson, who's an 18-year-old lad from the under-23s who's played like three professional games. And right now, if you had to pick a team sheet, Liam Thompson's name would be on it ahead of picking Morrison. But you would really want, you, you know what I mean, Jason? If you've got internationals, Ravel Morrison's name on the team sheet needs to be a higher pick than Liam Thompson. But it's the other way around. 
It should be. Yeah, you're quite right. Overshown by an 18-year-old. So that tells you Ravel Morrison's... I think that's the reason why Liam Thompson probably got his chance, Corey, was because Ravel Morrison was not... He was obviously playing that defensive role. He wasn't, do, he wasn't producing enough. So they went, right, well, push him further forward. Let's see what he can do. And really, he only got that Monday night. That, that's really his like, first time that he did it. So maybe it's maybe you do have to say, well, then Ravel Morrison deserves the chance playing as that number 10 over the next yeah, two or three Yeah, but his performances games. before then prompted an 18-year-old who never played before. I mean, yeah, you're quite right. But so then how many more, you know? Yeah, sure, no, I agree. We'll put Ravel Morrison in goal and it's like, well, he's never played goal. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. So maybe next week he does better. I don't know. But Josviak's been exactly the same. Forward passengers now. Josviak's exactly the same option though, Corey. Anytime he's come into this team this year, he's been, he's not just been bad. He's been, he's been really bad, in my opinion. I think there's been like one good game from him this season, two at a push. So it, I think you've got to argue for both players there. And and I think you could throw Sibley into that as well. You where Derby need people to perform this season is up front or, or the attacking players. And they haven't been. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why and, we're struggling. They're chasing, the, they're chasing the game with 15 minutes to go. And this is no disrespect, but he brings on Colin Kazim Richards, whose influence has waned this season. I understand that he's the only recognized senior striker at the club who's fit right now because Sam Baldock, I don't know, must get paid by the time he's on the treatment table or something. But yet you've got Louis Sibley, who is technically the future of Derby because he's what? 19, 20 years old, Kazim Richards is 35. And you would be hoping that Sibley, if whatever the inevitable happens at the end of the season, that Sibley would be a building block that Darby could build upon. So why don't you give him 10, 15 minutes after he scored a hat trick in the under 23 to see what he can do rather than bring on Kazim again, which again, this is not a knock against Kazim Richards. This is just a, why don't you try to play the younger lad who's maybe got a bit of confidence with a hat trick, give him an opportunity to shot rather than rolling out your 35-year-old veteran striker who might not be here next season. I think maybe to, maybe to that, I mean, you know, some of these youngsters, this would kind of counter what I'm about to say in terms of Liam Thompson, but if Derby are going to have to sell in January, you know, why why would you want to put your best players in, in the shop window? The, again, the, the best youngsters. But it it's difficult because it's a difficult balancing act in which way to do. I, th- I think, you know, scouts these days, and, and obviously we've spoken to, to many scouts, a couple of scouts on this podcast. It's not just the last, like Kamal Yuzvi, just, just as an example, nobody in the world is not going to touch him just based on his last 12 months at Derby. They know what kind of a player he, he, he can be. Um, obviously same as that, that spurt that Louis Sibley had. What, in, it's in the COVID same thing. Times. Like look at, look at, Look at Renato Sanchez when he went to Swansea. He was absolute dog crap, Renato Sanchez. And it like destroyed his career for like two years. But then now he's playing for Paul, uh, Portugal in the Euros last that, last summer. Yeah, mm. last, and he was five-star. Yeah. So, you know, just because Renato Sanchez had a bad two years, it's 18 months, one year, 18 months, two years at Swansea City, doesn't make him a bad player. It's about putting players in situations where they can succeed just because Kemi Lizardek, like you said, had a, had, a, has a, had a rough time since he's been at Derby because rough time. Look, he's been at lockdown. He's had his friend injured. He's adjusting to, you know, living outside Poland for the first time. Like there's a lot of things that, you know, we don't take into consideration because we do different jobs. But if all of a sudden, Jason, you move from Ripley to, to Warsaw, you'd struggle even doing your job. Yeah, absolutely. An officer, whatever, you'd be like, what is this place? Where do I go to eat? Where do I go to shop? Where do I play mini golf? Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just doesn't make him a bad player. It's just putting him, making sure that they can put him in the right place at the right time. Look at Mohamed Salah. Was Mohamed Salah a bad player at Chelsea? 
No, clearly not. I mean, same with De Bruyne and Lukaku. It's not like they pulled up any trees. And then they had to go away, learn about the game a little bit. They still had it. Mo Salah was still, he's obviously developed and grown because he's arguably the best player in the world right now at Liverpool. So is that down to coaching then, Corey? But there was something there. Was something there. There's always been something in, there's got to be have something in him. He just didn't get to like 25 and he just goes, I'm a world-class player now at Roma. Aha, look at me. That's what like, I mean. Is, is it down to coaching? Ability in him. Is it down to coaching? Is, is Wayne Rooney's man management of players as good as we Okay, we, well, we I'm going to ask you this. Wh- which players, which players since Rooney's took over, and this is, again, I mean, we'll just enter a different conversation here. I'm very much Rooney in right now. It, it's changed my mind because of what he's done. But since Wayne Rooney's took over as manager, which players have improved? Uh, I mean, Max Bird. I mean, Max Bird's found his form again. Um, I would. Yeah, I would but he found his form playing with Rooney, and then Rooney retired. He was crap. Yeah, he found I, his form again. Who has he improved the level of that you could sit there from when he first got the job and you think, "Wow, Christ, that lad's really improved." Yeah, I, I don't think there is any. Jason Knight is he improved or is he plateaued? Well, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'd be I, Max Bird springs to mind. Like you said, there, there is a counter argument to him, but I, I mean, Graham Shinney was has kind of been on that level, consistent pretty much for the last eighteen months. But no, I don't think there's any player that you could look at from that last game against Koku, um, you know, and and then go to now, which ones have, have progressed that? I mean, you've got to take the scenario that Derby are in. Of course, you have, yep. uh, and that's always going to make it. That's always going to make it, and difficult. that that makes it infinitely more difficult because yeah. you've got to worry about can they stay in the division rather than can I develop this young 18 year old lad? Yeah. But, but I think you're right. It, that is, it's not a debate for this podcast because we've talked far too long, but it, but it is a topic that we can definitely bring up on, on the next episode. Cause I think you're right. I do think you're right. There, there's, there's, a, there's definitely a casing argument to say old heartedly who is, who has individually improved. I think the team's improved, but individually uh, maybe in two or three weeks' time, we can say that that Wayne Rooney, the only manager to get the best out of Tom Lawrence, maybe. I would okay, fair that, enough. That, yes. That's possibly that's possibly one. Okay. But other than that, I'd I'd have to agree at this moment in time. There's probably not too many, but I think you're right. That I think that is a topic for debate in 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 the next podcast. And and before we and before we go, Jason, I just want to draw your attention to a story that uh, Football League World put out today that we that we retweeted. Um, and it's just saying that several Premier League clubs are looking at Derby County players mm. in January, notably Jason Knight, Max Bird, Louis Sibley, and Jack Stretton. And they're reporting that, let's see, uh, Jason Knight is understood to be a prime contender to leave uh, with Premier League sides, Everton, Wolves, Palace, Leicester, Leeds, Burnley, and Newcastle keen on him. Mm. Um, and then Brentford and Norwich, as well as West Brom and Bournemouth, are interested in uh, Bird, Sibley, and Stretton. It's what we expected, Corey. It's what we, it's fully what we expected. Um, we've just got to hope that the fire sale as such doesn't have to happen. And if that's the case, then if there's legitimate bids, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'd like to see those players go. But what I'm saying is if they want to move on, because let's look at, do they want to be playing in the Premier League? Do they want to be playing in League One next season or make possibly the championship? If Derby, if Derby have to sell, um, but sell because it's it's better for the player rather than down to financial matters, if that makes sense. Then, then right, I you want to do I, the right thing for your player. The, yeah, if if somebody comes in and goes, oh, we'll we'll give you one and a half million for night because we know we're skin, we know you're skin. 
I mean, there's two words that you're going to get. If somebody comes in and goes, we can see the potential and Derby can afford to not, you know, Derby can't afford to turn the value down at like 5 million, say. I'm just, I think Jason Knight's worth a bit more than that, but I'm just plucking that figure out there. If it's a legitimate bid, not just because of the position that Derby are in and need to make the finances better, then I think you've just got to hold your hands up and go, that 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 is part of football, as we mentioned, uh, we you know last week when we were talking with Ian at QPR, that that is just what happens. Big players do move on, the money comes in, and it gets recycled back into the squad. As long as that's able to happen, then ultimately, as we have done for many years, Hendrick Hughes, j- just to name two, they are gonna they are gonna go, and, and that's fine. But if it's because those players have to leave because of financial restrictions. And we have a scenario which we did when we fell out of the Premier League in the early 2000s, where we lost Higginbottom, Malcolm Christie, Chris Riggett, Mark Poom, you know, all those players. Yeah, for, for, for under a million pounds each, because Derby were in so much financial trouble, that's obviously to a, to a, a real negative uh, effect for the club. But unfortunately, because you've got the administrators in, that choice won't be given to Derby County. That will It will be a Unless pure finance... Is- done by that time. Yeah, it will be a pure financial decision. And if that's the case, you know as well as I do, football rules football, uh, finance rules football. So Derby, I think Derby need to prepare that after January, they probably won't have those players, which obviously makes Derby's task and then if they do, more difficult. Fantastic, great. They're yeah. still but, you but know. Like you say, even if we expected this, I mean, you know, leave you because, because think about this, is, Jason, their value, yeah. is their value going to be higher in January? while Derby is still in the championship, or is it going to be better or would it be, or would it be higher if Derby do go down to league one that summer? Because I'm telling you right now, I think that their value would be higher now because January is a notoriously 100%, 100%. And whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, what a team could do is say, well, you want this money for this player. I'll wait till summer. And you just, it's like death by a thousand cuts. They're just soaking them full of money because they know they don't have it. And then they're really desperate. Then they're really desperate in summer. And they're yeah. like, I mean, 400,000, take it, no sell-on clause and do all this crazy stuff. Yeah, I think the other thing that you've got to think about with that, Corey, is that, I mean, I don't know about every single player that we've just mentioned there who's on the radar, but a lot of Derby County players are out of contract in the summer. They they will lose them for nothing um, if they don't re-sign contracts. And I'm pretty sure that because of everything going off at this moment in time, they can't be negotiating contracts, surely, because that's just not, while it's important to secure your, your, you know, your youngsters for the future, that's not the key critical point at this moment in time in the world of Derby County. It's finding a buyer for the club. Um, so there may well be you know, nods to that in January. Uh, obviously, Tom Lawrence creeps into that one. But you know, there, there's a few people, there's, I think, is it 10 that are out of contract in, in, in the summer? You would expect there's going to be a few of those that will leave because it's the only opportunity Derby will have to, to, to drag anything in. And I think, you know, if, 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 if the first six months of this season, or however much it is, uh, you know, Derby would have started like a house on fire. We know that this probably wasn't never going to happen, but if, if this had started the house on fire, we got all the points deduction, but it looked more likely than it does at this moment in time that Derby would stay in the championship. I would have expected that 80% of those players would have been happy to wait until the summer to see what, to see what happens. I just, they all want to play for Derby County. They all want to play for the shirt. I think a lot of them do. But you've got to take the person. They've got to look at their own personal, personal, you know, personal thing. And d- is the move in January the right thing for them? Uh, which, which you know, it could well be. But 
again, there's a flip side to that. Jason Knight, will he get into the Wolves side? Will he get into the Everton side on a, on a week-in, week-out basis like he's going to do at Derby County? Possibly not. So from a personal perspective, where, where does his heart lie? Um, but they're, they're rumours, and, and we'll always have rumours. But I think it's, it's, it's not just rumours, because I think it's, it, it might not be those clubs, but the vultures are circling, Corey. As, 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 any, as any team who goes through what Derby County has gone through, that happens. Look at Wigan. They had to have a fire sale. We picked up two of their players on next to nothing who were experienced quality championship players. And one of them should still be playing. Um, and one of them is a week in, week out, right back and was in the shout for player of the season last year. You, unfortunately, when things like this happen, you do lose your better players for next to nothing. Uh, and like you say, things have got to happen and happen quickly over the next. We're coming into the business end now with administration, if you will. And those things are going to have to be tied down as fast as possible um, to, to, to try and secure the, the future of, of these players for Derby County. And what will be, will be. I think we can fully expect bids will come in in January. I don't think that's, I, I, I'll be amazed if they don't. Uh, you know, we had this kind of last year, didn't we, where we just managed to survive, but then the names of Lee Buchanan and Lewis Sibley and, and those names were, were lingered but I don't think anything official ever came in as far as we know a bid for Buchanan, but it was a silly bid from those down the road. Um, if there's legitimate interest and in bids come in, I, I think Derby will struggle to keep hold of them. I really do. Um, you, you look at it and the takeover is supposed to be finished by January. What if it's not, what if it's delayed and Derby need the cash to keep the club afloat? Exactly. A whole different kettle of fish. Cause we're expecting the administrators um, we were charging what 170 pound an hour or something ridiculous. 370 pounds, 400, 400 and something pound an hour, I think it was. Fair enough. With the 50,000 pound hotel bills, whatever, and the 5,000 pound train fare. Um, uh, you know, they'll have their preferred buyer, they'll go through the process and everything like that. But what if, ha- what if something happens? What if things fall through? We remember what happened with BCG, we remember what happened with Eric Alonso. What if something happens? This is football and this is Derby County, so anything could really happen and you might need that money in January. And then, then you think the vultures are circling, then they're really circling. But yeah, no, just, I agree. It's a, it's a wait and see thing, but it's not surprising to see these reports come out because no. look, if other clubs were in the similar situation and Derby were well off, we'd be looking at their best youngsters. Of course you would. Of course you would. And I, th- I, I think that is not the Because it's yeah. value. That, that is the thing. The, the key thing now is obviously over the next, what, week or two weeks, possibly, I mean, obviously, Mr. Kirchner was at the game on Monday night. He was spotted on his phone wearing a very nice Derby County jacket. Um, if his intentions are genuine, which I'm sure they are, then this the deal needs to be done before January. Or at least it's announced that he's going to be the buyer and all it is is dotting the I's and crossing the T's. You know, if that's the case, I think we can probably hold some of that interest at bay. But like you say, if you're creeping into the second week in January and nothing's come out, that's going to be a problem. Um, and I wouldn't expect teams to come in and go on the 1st of January, right, I'm having him, there's a bid. I, I don't expect that. It, you know what it's like. January is a notorious window. It will happen towards the end of the window. So that gives Derby County a little bit more breathing space. The only problem that it does do, if things aren't going right, is that if those players do move on, it doesn't allow time for, for weighing or whoever to then sanction deals coming in the other way. 
Or will we have a scenario like we had in last January where we had those five, four or five lone players lined up from, you know, December or whatever it may well have been. And it took till what, two days before the window shut to get them in exactly the same as it did in this summer. We had nine players or eight players or whatever it was waiting to sign contracts and we signed them the day before our first game of the season. Is it going to be another window like that? It's looking likely, I suppose. I think you have to say it's looking likely at this moment in time. But what I will say, I think the the, the anything in the next two weeks for me, um, coming the news coming out of the club should clarify start to clarify that with that named if it is named, um, you know, prospective buyer and uh, you know their, their preferred choice. So all we can do, as always, Corey, is wait and see. Um, but you know, there's always something to talk about. We've managed to go on there for for a good hour, uh, which is always nice. Um, it's just a case of wait and see, and let's hope that you know put put that QPR result to one to to one side and and just put in put in a bit a bit of a better performance on Saturday. If the result comes, the result comes. If the result doesn't comes, but the performance is that back there, then at least you know you can go. Yeah, as we mentioned earlier, yeah, that's a one off. You can then not get your hopes up, but then you can or uh, no, yeah, you get back no, on track and continue yeah. to build. Yeah, that's it. Um, that's it. The only other thing I want to mention, Corey, is uh, obviously as we are vastly approaching one of your favourite podcasts coming up uh, for the for the Blackpool preview. Is it the special special Christmas episode with special guest? Yeah, no, not just before that. It looks like we we've got another guest coming on. I'm not going to re- release any names because it's not confirmed yet. Um, but that'll be that'll that will coincide with Christmas. That will bring some festive cheer. Um, and it's a, as you know what it is. Um, so it's it's going to be a fun topic to talk about, fingers crossed. Um, so and a what you're saying is you don't know what it is. No. And you're hoping that I have planned something. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, and of course, we'll have uh, all the fallout from Bristol City and we'll have the preview for Cardiff uh, trip. Two away games in a row, Corey. It's time for Derby to dig in now. Um, and and if we can if we can come out of those two away games with, with three points or some, you know something close to that, or at least stay unbeaten. I think that'd be a good start. Um, anything more than that, I think, is a positive. But they are two teams down there. They are these are the teams. It's great beating the top, you know, picking up results against the top three. But it's these that are your bread and butter. These are the ones that are going to make the big difference in catching that points total up. Because obviously, I'm sure as you saw, even though we had great form, we're actually a point worse off. The gaps a point more than it was three games ago. So that's where it becomes a little bit because teams in and around us are starting to find that little bit of form as well, which is obviously not helping Derby's cause. But that is it. We've gone on for far too long. Corey, as always, thank you very much. Jason, of course. I'm always here. I'm always happy to to chime in. And it's good to have a a conversation with you about, you know, lots of different topics and and things that I'm looking forward to to the to the very near future because we should should have a couple cracking podcasts out. Yeah, we certainly should. Content. We should. And I'm Jason. Including a very cool tweet that we put out earlier today regarding which fullback would you rather have. And that's going to be something we're going to talk about in our special festive episode, which is different than the festive episode you were talking to, <laughs> talking about. Who would you rather have as a fullback, Jason? John Brayford or Jaden Bogle? We'll get to that. Don't answer that. Just chew on that for the next couple of weeks, and we'll, we'll answer these questions. It's just a preview of what's to come. We will, absolutely. And as always... We have to say, up the Rams. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. 
We would love it if you'd like to get in touch. On Twitter, we're at RamsReview1. On Facebook, it's RamsReview Podcast. Or you could drop us an email, RamsReview at Hotmail.com. Until next time, up the Rams. The Rams Review Podcast are proud to be part of the FanHub 100, putting fans first.